Lord, we, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, uh, who communicates to us, who instructs us. Uh, and we thank you for the chance to gather together this morning uh, to praise you, to thank you for what you've done, to join together around the table and to hear uh, from the scripture also. We thank you for this privilege. We ask that you'd open our eyes and our hearts now to the truth. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Well, as they head out, as they head out, I want to ask you, do you want to be wise? Would you like some wisdom? I bet you do. Scripture says, wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And it's universally recognized, not just in Scripture, but I think by everybody, that wisdom is supremely desirable. We badly need wisdom because uh, wisdom is the key to living well. Foolish choices lead to a wasted life. Wise choices lead to a life well lived. We want to be wise. And from the very earliest times, people have been seeking after wisdom. I don't know if you've noticed before, but in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> when Eve is contemplating the fruit of that tree, she decides she's going to reach out for it and take it because we read in uh, Genesis 3.6, the woman saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Whatever else we might say about that story and what was going on, we can say that Eve and Adam, they believed they were on a journey towards wisdom because sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong, but we all want to be wise. And that quest for wisdom continues in 21st century Cambridge. I went out and did some field work yesterday, went down to Paper Plus, and I can confirm there are a couple of bays they're full of books on well-being and, and health and self-help, spirituality, that kind of thing, because people are looking for wisdom, aren't they? Actually, I took a photo of, of one of the shelves there. You might just be able to see a couple of books there with a pink cover uh, that are just straightforwardly titled Seeking Wisdom. We're looking for wisdom. And that's why we have life coaches and well-being retreats and agony aunts and life hack videos and all the rest. We want to be wise. We look to different individuals, don't we, for wisdom. We look to people who we think can provide us with something. I notice that Jordan Peterson's coming to New Zealand later in the year. That might excite some of you. But many people look to this man for wisdom, or might be Deepak Chopra, or Marie Kondo, or Joe Rogan, or someone else. But when we gather as Christians here this morning... We have to say, there might be some wisdom in what these people have to say. But for us, finally, emphatically, supremely, wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. 
the Apostle Paul, he speaks of Jesus Christ who became to us wisdom from God. Do you want to be wise? As a Christian, we would say, look to Jesus, follow Jesus. Jesus defines wisdom. He's a wisdom from God for us. But to say that Jesus defines wisdom is kind of confusing in a way because if Jesus is wise, what kind of a wisdom is this that he's propagating? He never made his fortune, didn't live a long life, he didn't succeed romantically, he wasn't a military or a political powerhouse or success in the normal sense. So in what sense is Jesus the model for a wise life? What kind of wisdom does Jesus teach? Uh, as we turn to the book of James today, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at a passage that helps us to answer uh, that question. What kind of wisdom does Jesus teach? Uh, James uh, is often referred to as an example of wisdom literature, a book that's in continuity with books from the Old Testament like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It's a book uh, that deals with wisdom. And you may have noticed that the sermon series is titled Faith Does, and it's subtitled James' Guide to Living with Wisdom, because it's a book about wisdom. And in today's passage, uh, in James chapter 3, starting from verse 13, uh, he specifically discusses wisdom and what counts as true wisdom for those who have faith in Jesus. So I would encourage you to turn to that passage in your Bibles, assuming that you have something with you that you can read the Bible in or on. And I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse 13, where James says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, I usually use the ESV, uh, but I am happy to confess in this particular case, it doesn't read particularly easily. And the NLT helps to convey the, the sense of this verse pretty well. It says, if you're wise and understand God's ways, Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. So at the beginning of the passage we'll be considering this morning, James addresses those people who consider themselves to be wise, who think that they're experts at life. And he has a couple of things to say to them. The first is that real wisdom is visible. Sometimes we can get the impression that wisdom is a matter of how we think, theoretical framework, concepts, some kind of a philosophy, and certainly that can be an aspect of wisdom, but wisdom has to be more than just things that we think. And sometimes you might get the impression that someone is very wise because of the way they speak and speechify and uh, their eloquent words, but wisdom is more than words, much more than words. James says, if you're wise, you'll show up by your good conduct, by an honorable life, by 
good works. And those of you who can remember back a few weeks will recognize this is totally consistent with what James was saying about faith in chapter 2. Faith isn't really faith if it doesn't result in tangible action. And in the same way, wisdom that doesn't lead to an honorable life, well, what sort of wisdom is that? It's not wisdom at all. So the first thing he wants to say is, if you think you're wise, it's going to be visible. Wisdom manifests itself in good works. And secondly, uh, James wants to point out that there's a particular inner attitude that's associated with Christian wisdom. And the ESV translates this as an attitude of meekness, and the NLT translates the same word as humility, and many other translations use the word gentleness. When I was preparing for this, I kind of got the feeling that the original Greek word, prautes, is kind of difficult to convey in English, uh, which is why we get this diversity of of translations. The most traditional way to translate this word is meekness, but it doesn't work particularly well because we associate meekness with weakness, and that's not the idea at all. In Bible times, this word was often used to describe a horse Uh, that had been broken in, that was tame. And so the basic meaning is not weakness. Horses aren't weak. But the meaning is something more like humble submission. Christian wisdom involves an attitude of humble submission to God. That's the foundation from which wisdom springs. Of course, In saying this, James is being completely consistent with these famous words from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom begins with an attitude of fearing God, respecting God, of meekness. That's the foundational posture of wisdom, one of submission to the will of God. He's our creator. He's our life giver. He's the one with the understanding. If we live um, with uh, what he has ordained for us, that will constitute wisdom. One of the ways in which uh, Jesus is a role model of wisdom for us is because of his total submission and obedience to God. We see this uh, announced loud and clear in the Gospel of John, for instance, where over and over uh, Jesus informs us that he's come to do the will of God. John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. John 6, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me, and so on. Jesus was submitted to God, and that is wise. And in this sense, Jesus is an example of wisdom for us. In Matthew 11, uh, Jesus says, Learn from me, for I am gentle, and that's the same word, meek, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is meek. He's submitted to God. He's lowly. He's humble before God. 
and that makes him wise and someone worth learning from. Isn't it interesting? He says, you can learn from me, not because I think I've got it, everything together or because I'm exalted or anything like that. Presumably, he could have said something like that. He says, you can learn from me because I'm meek. Do you want to be wise? Then start with an attitude of meekness that leads to an honorable life. Let's read on in verses 14 and 15. James says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Here, James moves on to consider another kind of mindset which claims to be wise. An alternative take on wisdom. And this approach to wisdom says wisdom consists in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy is talking about that desire to take good things away from others who have them. Selfish ambition is talking about wanting to gain good things for myself alone. And so both of these phrases in different ways speak about building myself up while I'm tearing other people down. It's a look after number one kind of a mentality. And for James, this is not really wisdom at all. It's not Jesus-shaped wisdom. It's not divine wisdom. In fact, it's opposed to true wisdom. Uh, the wisdom of Jesus is oriented to God. This alternative wisdom is oriented to the self and what I want. The wisdom of Jesus is grounded in meekness and humble submission to God. And this alternative wisdom uh, is grounded in pride and what I think I deserve. So it pretends to be a kind of a wisdom, but James describes this as a false kind of a wisdom. And he says this self-oriented, proud wisdom is, uh, can be described using three words. So first, he says it's earthly. This is an earthly wisdom. And I take this to mean uh, that this is the kind of wisdom you're going to find in the systems and institutions of this world. The, this is the kind of wisdom that's going to drive uh, competition and suspicion and a contest between nations and between people. Warfare, even, finds its root in this kind of wisdom. It's earthly. He says that this wisdom is unspiritual. And this could be uh, translated in different ways. For instance, sensual, fleshly. It's a form of wisdom which can easily unleash all of our inner desires in an unhelpful way. It's a wisdom that comes easily to us when we're grappling with our desires. It's a sensual or unspiritual kind of wisdom. 
We want health, we want wealth, we want love, we want status. This kind of wisdom leads us to drive for that without regard for the wider repercussions. And then he says, this wisdom is demonic, which is a strong word, isn't it? Not the way that we often talk. He says this is a demonic wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom associated with rebellion against God. And how can it be any other way? Because if I'm operating in a self-oriented way where what I want is what I think I deserve and I'm going to get it at the expense of others, where's the room in that for yielding to God? I'm saying I'm going to be the boss. And it's difficult to acknowledge a God with humble submission when you're approaching life in that way. And so James says, it's a wisdom of rebellion. It's demonic. James goes on to say that this earthly wisdom uh, shows itself to be false through the results that it yields. That's what he says in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You know that this is not wisdom because of the results that it yields. He talks about disorder, and this is a word that principally refers to social turmoil, to conflict between people, broken relationships. And we can see how jealousy and selfish ambition can easily lend themselves to backstabbing and bad-mouthing and a loss of trust between people partiality, factionalism, church splits. doesn't take much imagination to see how, how you can get to that place. He talks about uh, every vile practice, our own wicked behaviors. And we can see how jealousy and, and ambition are, are fertile ground for embezzlement, theft, Sharp business practices, adultery, anger, cursing, and so on. This wisdom of jealousy and selfish ambition leads to disorder and every vile practice. Jesus said, you can tell whether a tree is good or bad by its fruit. And James here is making much the same claim about wisdom. Wisdom worthy of the name has to produce good fruit, good conduct, an honorable life. Wisdom that leads to disorder and every vile practice, that's not wisdom at all. How could that be called wisdom? Don't boast about it, but get rid of it. Do you want to be wise? Renounce and confess to God any indications of jealousy and selfishness you can see in your life because the results will not be good. Having discussed this alternative proposal, this earthly wisdom, James returns to his discussion of the wisdom of Jesus, which he calls a wisdom from above. In uh, verse 17, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial 
and sincere. He says, first of all, this kind of wisdom is pure and it's peaceable. And it seems to me that these are the two primary attributes that James is putting forward in contrast to the earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom that he's been discussing. There's a contrast between the two. He says that earthly wisdom leads to every vile practice. It leads to wickedness. The wisdom from above is associated and characterized by purity. Earthly wisdom leads to disorder, but the wisdom of Jesus is peaceable, free from sins against other people. I think the spirit of what James is saying uh, is quite similar to that voiced in another place by the writer of Hebrews, who says, and I've thought about this verse a lot, it scares me sometimes. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, there we see uh, that we're urged to be holy, or in other words, pure, unpolluted, set apart, apart for God, as we sung earlier, and to be peaceable. True wisdom strives for purity, and it strives for peace. A self-oriented wisdom, it says, do what you want. Indulge in pornography, buy that expensive guitar you've been hankering after, skip church, belittle your spouse, do what you want. But true wisdom strives for purity and says uh, your relationships uh, with God and others will be better if you restrain your lust, your greed, your sloth, your anger, and so on. Be pure. Don't allow those things to take over and lead you into sin. True wisdom strives to be peaceable. Self-oriented wisdom says, I'm going to cut off the people who trouble me. I'll never speak to them again. I'm going to attack those who attack me. That kind of wisdom says self-preservation is the highest goal. I'm going to seek that whatever the cost. The wisdom of Jesus says your life will actually yield better fruit if you practice forbearance uh, with those who disagree, if you speak the truth in love to those who harm you, if you seek restoration of relationships, even when that means vulnerability for you. Do you want to be wise? James says, pursue purity and peace. Jesus himself, he was the epitome of purity and peaceableness because he was wise. We read that he was like us, but he never sinned. And uh, we read at a time of severe trial and temptation, Jesus is in the garden. He says, my soul uh, is very sorrowful, even to death. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In every circumstance, seeking to be pure and live for God. And Jesus is the peaceable one. He's the one who taught us, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, 
And he's the one about whom Paul taught. Jesus himself is our peace, reconciling all people to God in one body through the cross. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. We should be very thankful for the purity and peaceableness of Jesus. Not only because he's an example for us, but because our personal salvation depends on it. Jesus was pure, and he sought to be reconciled to us and to reconcile God to us. Our salvation rests on that. We should praise God for the wisdom of Jesus shown in his purity and his peacemaking. James goes on and he elaborates further on the attributes of the, of the wise person. And I see this as being um, somewhat parenthetical to these key uh, principles that he's put forward. But it helps to paint a portrait for us of what a wise person looks like. He says they're gentle, they're kind in other words, or tolerant. He says they're open to reason. Persuadable, a patient listener. He says they're full of mercy, forgiving, not finding fault. Full of good fruits, a good friend, generous. Impartial, dispassionate, non-judgmental. He says they're sincere, they're authentic, they're without any hypocrisy. We start to see there something of the character of a wise person. I don't know how you would describe that overall. For me, I thought the picture being painted here was of a gracious person. Someone who's responding with good, even if it's not warranted. Overcoming evil with good. Meek towards God. Gracious in their dealings with other people. Do you want to be wise? Then be gracious to others. Finally, James concludes with these words in verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we have an agricultural picture here. And he says someone who's making peace, who's busy trying to build bridges and working and laboring in a peaceable way, they're investing, they're sowing for a harvest of righteousness, or we might say justice. The person who pursues peace is contributing to making things right. And if the world is going to be better and things are going to be put right in the future and things are going to be good, it will be because of peacemakers. And of course, that's ultimately our hope in Christ. He is the one who will ultimately bring peace. But we can start that work now. Pursue peace and you help to put things right. You raise a harvest of righteousness. Those who are happy to perpetuate or to foster conflict will leave no such legacy. Do you want to be wise? 
Good, a few of you still hanging in there. I hope so. I've talked about this a few times. Many of you know that I had a long period of secular employment before coming to work here about five years ago. You've seen this slide before if you've been a regular here. <laughs> it's just the only picture of the building that I could find off Google. Uh, I was there for about 10 years at the Ministry of Health in Wellington um, when we were down there. And there were periods in my employment at Ministry of Health that were particularly turbulent. My family could tell you all about that. And I knew what it was like to be confronted with bitter jealousy by those who saw me as the enemy. I knew what it was like to see selfish ambition there, the many evils that resulted from self-promotion and undermining other people. And there was an extended period of time, maybe a couple of years, where I really struggled in that place to know how to act, what to think, what to say. And uh, at that time, these verses were very important to me, actually. These verses from James that we've read this morning, they were what I quoted to myself more often than anything else, walking down the hallways to the next meeting, just feeling like I need a wisdom from God. In a time of conflict and difficulty, I knew I needed to seek wisdom that was shaped after Jesus. I wonder where your challenges in life are. wonder what it is that tempts you to a false kind of wisdom. Might be things that are happening in your family, or in work, or in the sports club, or with your neighbours. It could be something that's happening in church. Struggles are real. We need wisdom, don't we? When you commit yourself to the wisdom of Jesus, to meekness, to purity, to peaceableness, to graciousness. James 1 and 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. So why don't we do that now? And pray to God for wisdom. Father, we thank you for this promise. If any lacks wisdom, they can come and ask you. And collectively, we want to cry out for wisdom now. We all know we need it. We want wisdom. Sometimes it's hard to know where to look. Sometimes it's hard to see who really has a, a grip on wisdom. But we put our faith in you. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and uh, in what you teach us. And so we say, where there is jealousy in our hearts, where there is selfish ambition that is harming other people, help us to see it. Help us to banish it, to overcome it. Help us to confess it and repent of it. Lord, do that work in us. You say you will give us wisdom if we ask. We ask for it. Father, we know there's a wisdom that comes from above that is pure and peaceable and gracious. And in all the difficulties of life, we wish to seek after that kind of wisdom and know how to apply it. So again, we cry out to you, we say, please give us this wisdom. Help us to live like Jesus, we pray. For his name's sake, 
Amen.